If you only allow your athlete to feel confident, if you only allow them to to feel the fluff, to never feel what it's like to fail, to never know what it's like to explore, to never what it, to know what it's like to actually solve problems where you might not have the answer on the very first time, then what the hell are they going to do when they get to the game? What's up, everybody? This is Coach Ha from the Athlete Blueprint Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining me today. I've got a special episode. It's a little bit of a departure from what we normally do in this podcast. You know, normally on this podcast, we like to do the long format interview style episodes where I get to interact and have conversations with some of the very best and brightest in the world of coaching, rehab, and skill acquisition. I love those, but every now and then we like to switch it up and do something different. I tend to call these deep dives. Why I call it a deep dive is because I feel like when we normally do those, that this is a topic that needs to be highlighted or dove into, if you will, a little bit more. Something that maybe comes up in a podcast, something that maybe comes up out there in the real world, or something that I feel like is often misunderstood from other coaches. And this episode is no different. That is the origin behind this. Let me go ahead and explain some of the backstory before we get to what the episode is actually going to be about today. So the origin for this episode, the impetus for this episode is based off of a Twitter exchange that I had recently with a coach. Don't worry, it was not a Twitter fight. It was friendly and it was a good banter. But essentially what it came down to was the coach posted a video of his athletes during their agility session and they were stopping or sprinting through based off of another coach dropping a foam roll. So that was the uh, the cue for them to then adjust their movement. And so my comment to him was, why not use another athlete, something a little bit more relevant or specifying for those athletes to then coordinate their movement solutions around? which, you know, in my opinion, is a lot more relevant, right? It's a lot more relevant to them. And so his response was, we do. And as we got into more conversation, what became clear is what they do, and this is from the coach's mouth, not directly, but I'm paraphrasing here, is they go from a closed environment. So something that I'm assuming is like cutting on a cone, cutting on air, to something like the video they just that he just showed to react to something that's non-specifying a foam roll or an inanimate object in this case to open environment agility. Now I haven't seen any of those other activities or drills that he was doing, but that is what he said. And so it, it raised, I think, an important point and I think a common misunderstanding in people who who, who maybe aren't fully uh, developed into their understanding of ecological dynamics is that. You have to have a progression from non-specifying, non-alive, basically sterile environments to alive movement problems. That you have to go from one and the level of representativeness, if you will, right? Like a speed ladder or a cone drill to all the way to number 10, which is the game, which is also something that he said to me. He made the comment that, you know, directed towards me. So you think batters should only face live game pitching and that's not the case i actually think there are many there are definitely times when you'd want to reduce the complexity of an activity maybe you don't want them facing the full thing maybe you don't want them facing live pitching right but the problem is is oftentimes that i see when people reduce an exercise reduce complexity 
they impoverish it, right? So what I mean is they completely change the information sources, right? They're going from something that may be extremely relevant that's on a level 10 that's specifying to what that athlete might actually experience and see to something that they're never, ever going to see and expect that somehow that transfers. Like my friend Cal Jones, who's been on this podcast, has said uh, before, you want to reduce without impoverishing, right? You want to reduce complexity, but still make sure that the activity holds relevance for that athlete and what they might see and the problems they might encounter in their sport. So for today's episode, what we're going to be talking about is three different scenarios or situations where you may want to actually reduce the complexity of an activity. Without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so the first case, the first situation, and by the way, this is not limited to these three that I'm going to talk about today. There are many, many more, and these, you know, are, are going to be one of those responses that everybody hates, but these are going to be depends situations, meaning that these are not hard, locked, and key rules. These are things that you can adjust and you can manipulate depending on your situation who you're working with. But situation one, where you may want to reduce, again, remember what Cal Jones said, uh, reduce without impoverishing, which means you're reducing the complexity while still keeping the information sources relevant. We're not going to an inanimate object per se. So one scenario would be injury, right? Someone that is returning from injury. And that is a very obvious one, but I think we should start there. And this is something that I'm very passionate about. And in my opinion, there's a huge gap between what is typically done to return to play in those protocols and then what the athletes actually experience out there on game day, whether that's whatever sport you play. And, and I think that is where scaling and reducing task complexity is, is, is really, really powerful. Um, and the thought of representative task design, actually designing things that are relevant to that athlete, what they're going to be doing in their performer environment relationship are really, really important right now. What you often see is these, these closed drills, whether it's, you know, maybe we're getting to the agility phase uh, of an ACL rehab and they're doing a T test or some sort of speed ladder or some sort of shuffle progression that do not bear any resemblance to what they're actually going to see on the field. If we take, for example, a football player, or let's just say rugby, a rugby player, and they have the ball and they are making a move at a person, right? They are they're in an online fashion picking up information. They are not going to make the move off of a cone, right? They are going to make maybe make a move if they're an offensive player avoiding a tackle uh, off of someone's bearing angle or the boundaries or the space allowed to them or the situation in the game, right? We'll switch back to American football. If it's American football and you could go up the boundary, but your team is up and you're running back and you want to stay in bounds, well, you're probably not going to do that. Maybe you go back to the middle of the field. So these are all situations that the information will help help open up uh, affordances, expose afford different affordances that the athlete can either act on or not act on. So, Injuries are, are one, one situation where you can definitely reduce complexity. There are different ways that you can reduce the complexity of, of a specific activity. One, you can reduce velocity. And oftentimes the way we do that at Ignite and the way I've done it in the past with, with post-ACL uh, um, or, or other, other injuries is reducing the space. Right. So if you reduce the space of, say, if it's a one on one drill for, for any particular, maybe one on one evasion, uh, a, 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 excuse me, activity, <laughs> the drill, the word drill is banned from my vocabulary. But um, but if if you are doing a one on one type of activity, then if you do not have a really 
wide space, if you don't have the athlete run for 15 yards and then make a maneuver, well, you're naturally going to reduce the velocity and the potential impact and the potential um, the potential for injury there. So that's one simple way that you can do it. Another way or that you can re- reduce this for, for people that are injured is reducing the number of opponents. Um, so, for example, again, if we're using a, a let's just say basketball in this case, and you are working with with an athlete coming back off of an injury. Maybe you don't go to five on five. Maybe you could simply do a small side of game that uses half of the court, two on two, anything like that, that reduces the number of opponents. Um, we already mentioned space. We already mentioned velocity. The other thing is stress, right? We do want that athlete to experience levels of stress, I believe, that are going to approximate to a degree what they're going to face, but you can slowly build that up, build that in. And those are often done through environmental constraints. For example, if we are going to, um, you know, I heard a story from, from one of my mentors, Sean, about how he invited an athlete. One of, one of his athletes was coming back from injury and he invited the athlete's in-laws to the session. <laughs> Talk about stress, right? Performing in front of your future mother-in-law and father-in-law. I believe he was engaged at the time. But that is a way where you can add stress to that situation. Maybe you don't do that right away, right? Maybe you just have it just you and the athlete. Maybe you don't have, um, you know, 30 people in the stands, but there's other ways that you can do that. You can later on in their, 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 their uh, rehab, you can do something as, as what Sean did. You can fatigue them. You can have them perform in a fatigue state because that is reality of what they're going to actually face in game day. So these are just ways and some options that you could potentially reduce complexity, right? Again, reducing without impoverishing, right? It's still relevant. Like again, maybe you just have one person versus two versus two people, a 15 yard box, uh, or sorry, a 10-yard box instead of a 15-yard box. Um, no f- people in the stands. There's people in the stands. There's any number of ways, right? But the task is still relevant for that athlete. All right, so on to number two. Reason number two, you may want to reduce complexity. And even within this answer, I guarantee I am likely going to contradict myself because I do think that this comes with a very, very big asterisk that I will get into. Number two is confidence. Now, you know, depending on the sport, athletes can be very superstitious. They can be very um, confident drained if they're going through a, a bad patch. And I do think there are times that athletes get benefit by reducing activities that are relatively simple, that are maybe not meeting their challenge point, but they are going to allow that athlete to feel some success and build up some confidence. If we were to take the example of baseball, this is where maybe if you are doing some batting practice, it is fairly easy. Maybe you're not mixing up the pitches every single time. Now, I don't believe you should necessarily tell the athlete what to do, but if you can give them a couple you know, center cut fastballs to allow them to feel the contact of the bat, I do think that that is a good thing. If you, if you go back to the previous example of injuries, if we were to have that athlete, you know, a specific athlete I mentioned in a blog post that I did with the guys over at Emergence, if they have a specific athlete and it's his first session back from injury, not only would it probably not be smart and could lead to potential injury if we overwhelm this person, it could also be not very smart if we allow them to experience zero success. So let's just say to complete this activity where this this football player who I, I mentioned I work with in the blog post on a previous podcast coming back from an ACL injury, 
if I set up a 1v1, which is one of the things that we would do, um, if I set up a 1v1 and I was just going at him 100% and maybe I won 8 out of 10, that might not be the best thing for his confidence. At the same time, I don't believe that he needs to now go do a speed ladder. I don't believe that he needs to now go in and out of some tires because I don't think that that is going to help them. So you can, again, reduce without impoverishing, which I might say 10, 10 times uh, on this on this show today. But the caveat, right, the, the counter argument to my point that I'm making, so I'm going to argue with myself here, is that if you only allow your athlete to feel confident, if you only allow them to, to feel the fluff, to never feel what it's like to fail, to never know what it's like to explore, to never what it, to know what it's like to actually solve problems where you might not have the answer on the very first time, then what the hell are they going to do when they get to the game? What are they going to do when they see a problem and they don't know what, how to solve it? What are they going to do when they're overwhelmed by the speed of the game? What are they going to do when they don't have a grip over their field of affordances? And this is where I think the confidence piece is a little bit overblown. I do believe that you can set your culture. And I talked about this uh, with, with Casey on a recent episode, Casey Kreider. And he talked about shifting the culture in his program to embrace exploration, understand, understand the inherent failure that comes with exploration. It is going, it's going to happen. And so while I do think there are times when you want an athlete to feel good about himself, whether, you know, it's kind of like placebo effect, right? If, if I take a sugar pill and if it works a little bit, well, maybe it works a little bit, but I do need to get the real medicine at some point. And so this is kind of what I relate to it. If you want the allow, allow the athlete to feel a little bit confident here and there, I do think there's a place for it, but I do think that not building up their movement toolbox, as Sean Mishka might say, not allowing them to experience slices of the game, as Tyler and Sean might say, I think is going to come back to bite them. Because nothing gives an athlete more confidence than solving problems and realizing once they see it in the game, oh, I kind of did this already. And finally, for the third and final reason where you might want to reduce the complexity of an activity or of your practice I think is that if you are new to a group of athletes or a group of athletes is coming to you that has not experienced this approach before, I do think it could potentially be overwhelming, particularly if you, if you have not laid the groundwork of what the expectations are. Now, some people may disagree with me on this. You may go all in and there's people that can do that. I do believe you can go all in with the training efficacy meaning that you are not going to dance around and go from, you know, closed drill to open, go from speed ladder to live agility. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is if you come in with this kind of idea, and this is where the idea of a softly assembled practice that, you know, Tyler said m multiple times, if you have this idea, this rigid idea that I'm going to do this awesome level seven out of 10 representativeness activity for my athletes, and they have never practiced like that, it can be a bit overwhelming. So you might go to level three, level four, right? And then slowly build them up to where they can now understand that this is going to be good for them, that this is going to be a good change. But by them experiencing these alive movement problems, that is going to more greatly benefit them in their in their lives, in, in their sport, right? 
I'll give you a specific example. I was doing a session with my business partner, Rob, when we were working with the lacrosse team. And as we started with them, they were younger lacrosse athletes. We had this, this practice design and, you know, super exciting. And then we went to this, this activity, this portion of practice. Um, and it was completely over the, their heads, right? It was completely overheads. And I led that portion. Um, and I don't think that they weren't, it wasn't because they weren't good athletes. It was one because I didn't set the expectations. Well, I did not say, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is maybe why we're doing it and give a little bit of guidance, right? Guide their um, intentions a little bit. And so that way they understand why they're doing something. And so we kind of scaled it back the next week. And now why we can do that same exact activity and they're going to crush it. And it's been great. It's been great going out there and seeing our athletes adapt, seeing them value the style we're bringing, the different, you know, we call them games a lot of the times, the different games that they, that they utilize, small-sided games, these different activities where they're now able to pick up information that's relevant to what they're actually going to play and see in the sport. And, and their play has been reflecting, reflecting it, excuse me, quite frankly. But, but it definitely is, is a big shift. And, you know, my, my advice to anybody who, who is, who is embarking on something like this, who is working with an organization or a team, or, or if it's new athletes first day is to a really set the expectation of what your culture culture is. I think that's very, very important. And I'll get in a little bit of a side tangent, but one of the things that I think is so valuable and powerful about this approach is that it's not just an approach to training. It's an approach to life. I think especially excuse me, if you work with athletes, but especially developing athletes, just having them understand, you know, as Casey would say, that exploration is the goal, that failure is okay, is going to set them up. You know, we we talked about this with, with Dr. Paul Silva in one of the episodes, but that concept of anti-fragility, you know, we want athletes to become stronger with stress. We don't want them to be a glass glass vase and, and, and shatter in a million pieces. We don't want them to just, you know, crumble under this. And we want them to be able to understand that this is part of our culture at Ignite and your culture, right? So set that culture is very, very important. And then I would, again, on, on a, a second, what I said earlier is to maybe start smaller, right? Level three, level four, right? Instead of going all the way in nine, 10. And, and that can be a way of periodizing your training and your practice. And I think you know, another way, you know, bone, here's a bonus one. I didn't, I didn't talk about this uh, yet, but maybe you're in the deep off season, right? And those athletes just faced a live movement problems, maybe, you know, 10 out of 10, right? Say, you know, they just saw 10 out of 10 in baseball or football or every sport. Maybe you don't want to have them see 10 out of 10 right now. Maybe you want to chase abundance or dexterity, right? A number of movement solutions. Maybe you just want to open up and explore, you know, degrees of freedom. So maybe you do something that isn't super relevant to the sport, but that still has fidelity, right? That is still actually going to have real specifying information in there. Maybe you do that in early in the off season. And then as they get closer to, to camp or whatever their event they're working towards, the information gets a little bit more specific and you, you know, scale that level of representativeness. Well, guys, that is it for me today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed doing these because, again, we get to really 
take a step back and dive into these these topics that I think are really important for coaches to understand. It's also very helpful for me because I get to think about this stuff um, somewhat on the fly uh, and, and helps me become a better coach. So I really appreciate you guys all for for listening and just really appreciate anybody and everybody who, who's a part of this community. It's uh, it, It's been a really special journey and none of this would be possible without you. Until next time, we'll see you on the Athlete Blueprint Podcast. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. If you like what you heard, share the episode with a friend, share it on social media, or even better, write us a review. Until next time, we'll see you on the Athlete Blueprint Podcast. Take care. Take care.